Well, this is nuts. <laughs> it's like leaking out as we speak. Yeah, coming at you live. Welcome back to episode 45 of Acquired, the podcast about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today we are live covering the leaks as they come out. Um, well, Google is uh, is apparently about to acquire HTC, or, or at least a part of HTC. And uh, David and I are hitting refresh on our browsers while recording this on uh, the evening of, uh, of Wednesday, September 20th, around 8 p.m. Pacific time. Um, and uh, even since we decided a few hours ago to shift course and, uh, and dive into this episode instead of um, one that we will do next week that is less time sensitive, um, we... Uh, uh, there's been new information. Yeah, um, we're coming at you live here on Acquired. <laughs> so we decided that there's the the way we want to structurally do this is we'll sort of state our assumptions about what we know because um, Dave and I were talking about it and we're pretty sure that we know the majority of the information that will be announced tomorrow. Um, and so we'll sort of state what we know and then, um, um, you know, if we need to, to pop in and revise, uh, uh, at the beginning of the episode or something, which you will have already heard if you're listening to this, um, then, then we will. So everything, uh, everything that you'll hear is based off of some, some assumptions that we'll introduce. Yeah. There's like, there's some serious time travel going on in this episode because <laughs> you guys will be listening to this in the future. Obviously we're here in the evening Pacific time on September 20th. It's already morning in Asia, uh, and so the official news is is starting to come out uh, over in Taiwan, um, and and of course the leaks were coming out yesterday in Taiwan, which is still today <laughs> here in uh, here in, in Pacific time. Yeah, and, and the most uh, the most obvious one that's that's not a leak, that's a public announcement, is that um, HTC will not be trading tomorrow because of a large announcement that is likely to uh, significantly impact. Uh, the shareholders so well um, before we will. yeah before we unveil too many other things um let's uh <laughs> let's dive in so uh our sponsor for this episode is perkins cooey the council to great companies today's sponsorship is with jeff bucci the firm-wide chair of perkins m&a practice so jeff many of our listeners are technology entrepreneurs who have not been through a sale process you've seen a lot of those can you tell us some of the most common surprises or just maybe a common surprise that entrepreneurs see in the sale process? Well, it's the magnitude of the undertaking that I think surprises people the most. The time, documentation, the due diligence, the detail, and most of all, the negotiation that's involved with it. A lot of tech entrepreneurs in particular buy into this myth of the so-called friendly deal that buyers will share with them. And that's this notion that it's going to be a super smooth process because the deal makes sense for everybody involved and it, it really won't be that hard to get done. I, I find that in real life, even with the most friendly of deals and even with the best intentions, what this really means is it'll go really smoothly if you accept our onerous terms. And if you're an entrepreneur, you have an obligation to yourself and to your investors to protect your investment and your proceeds following the closing. It can be hard to drive a difficult bargain with your future employer or co-investor, but that's what you need to do. Great. Thanks, Jeff. If you want to learn more about Perkins Cooey or reach out to Jeff specifically, you can click the link in the show notes or in the Slack. 
Now, David, before diving into these uh, acquisition history and facts of uh, of, of HTC, um, let's let's throw out for the audience what we know and and what we believe now. Right. So uh, tomorrow, uh, September twenty first, it's looking like it will be announced that Google is going to acquire a large portion of the engineering team at HTC. So they are not acquiring the whole company is the best information we have thus far. Um, but they are paying just over a billion dollars to acquire about half of the employees and specifically the group of hardware employees. Uh, and, and I believe that's also along with the manufacturing kind of plants and, and supply chain assets uh, that worked on the Google Pixel phones that they released last fall that HTC made for them. So that is that is current state of play. They're acquiring about half of the people in the company, but the HTC as a company itself and all of its brands uh, and its own operations are still remaining independent. Fascinating. And other products, right? So the the you know the Vive, the Vive stays yep. in HTC. Yeah, not just yeah, not just the Vive, other products, but HTC's own non-google um smartphone mm. efforts so th- very confusing uh <laughs> they are going to continue to be a smartphone handset manufacturer on their own but sort of the a team that was working directly with google on the pixel phones and other devices is now coming over to be directly part of google yeah and we say the a team you know there's there can be furious debate about um, the, who, who, HTC and who's prioritizing what and, and who they put on which projects. But one thing that you cannot deny is it was, it was um, very, very widely uh, publicized and, and um, covered that, you know, the, the Google <coughs> Pixel was the best Android phone ever made and set the new standard. And it's, it's that team that, that um, you know, worked on an amazing product. And obviously, Google <laughs> did lots and lots of the design there. Um, but uh, we, we are getting ahead of ourselves. So, yep. um David, so let's, what, tell us a little about HTC. Yeah, let's dive into history and facts and, and rewind the clock. And uh, HTC is is uh, not, you know, it's a it's a household name in the U.S., but uh, but only recently, however, has been involved in many products over the years that uh, that our listeners will probably recognize. Um, so the company was founded in 1997 in Taiwan. It's a Taiwanese company. And uh, and they began life, and for most of their initial life, were just an, an OEM, so an, an original equipment manufacturer. They were essentially a contract manufacturer for other tech companies. They didn't have their own brand. And then over time, they built their own brand. But obviously, just like the Google Pixel and other devices, they continued to build products for other brands. Um, and And when they first started in 1997, they right out of the gate worked on on laptop computers um but then pretty quickly transitioned to cell phones and this was before you know smartphones as we know them today but back then smartphones and smart mobile devices uh were PDAs personal digital assistants so HTC actually uh this is a blast from the past was the manufacturer and, and I believe also involved in, in elements of the design for the HP and Compaq iPack 
Windows, uh, you know, personal assistant. Do you remember that one? And then also uh, a pretty popular device, the Palm Trio 650, which I think if I'm remembering right, was one of the first Palm, you know, slash handspring trio devices that was also a cell phone. Huh. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, in thinking about this, you know, I always think about um, there are the the few manufacturers that actually made their own stuff. And Palm always occupied that space in my head, Um, you know, as did Nokia and um, you know, I, apparently Palm didn't make all their own stuff and I don't know, I'm not actually sure if, uh, did, did they manufacture other products? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. And Palm itself, that'll be an episode, a fun episode <laughs> someday. Uh, it was, you know, a darling kind of startup, uh, tech company in, in the Valley in the nineties and then ended up getting acquired by 3Com, right? Is that right? Palm, which it's yeah, it wasn't Palm yeah. part of Three Com at one point. Um, well, eventually they ended up going to HP, um, and getting bought uh, by HP right. after that's the Palm right. Pre, um, which was what that was a shame. Like WebOS was an absolute pioneering product, and the Palm Pre was was a, a controversial yet well designed device, and I think um, you know to absolutely languish at HP. But yeah, that's that's, totally. that, that's for another day. Let's let's definitely do an episode on another that. day. Okay, okay. I just looked it up quickly. Yeah, Palm was acquired by U.S. Robotics Corp. in 1995, and then U.S. Robotics was acquired by 3Com. So it was oh, part wow. of. Did it like spin 3Com. out? Then? Yeah. So then the founders left uh, 3Com because they were you know unhappy and uh, and started Handspring, and that's why Handspring and Palm. It was always that confusion. I remember. Uh... Yeah. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. (laughs) (laughs) So HTC uh, is in the middle of all of this. I mean, they they are like the OG players in the smartphone game here, Um, and uh, and even going back to the founding of the modern smartphone game. um, Obviously, they weren't involved with Apple and the iPhone. Although they did own Beats at one point in time, which we'll get into. Uh, We also covered this in our Android episode, episode 20, um, which is very relevant here. Uh, This should really be like the the coda to that episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But HTC was one of the founding members of the Open Handset Alliance, which if you might recall from that episode, was Google's initial smartphone efforts uh, that turned into Android. And so HTC, when what became Android, uh, the artist that would become Android, finally launched in 2008, the very first and only for a long time, quote unquote, Google, Google phone was the HTC Dream, which in the US was the T-Mobile G1. Um, and that was made by that was made by HTC. And that was the very first and, and again, only Android phone for quite a long time. Yeah. Man, I remember playing with prototype hardware of that um, in like 2007-ish, and uh, I think that's right, and that was, that. Or maybe it was just very early hardware, but that was like, <laughs> it was hard to believe that that was the future. I mean, I know everyone yeah, was all excited seriously. about it, and it's in a lot of ways the same way now that people are, are showing off like an extremely crummy experience in IoT and being like, IoT is the future, and you're just like, eh, 
Okay. okay. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> this thing, you know, I I don't think I've ever actually used one in person. I've certainly seen them, um, but this thing, we'll we'll try and link to it. Remember to link to it in the show notes. But uh, so it had like a trackball on it, right? It had a trackball, and then it also had a slide up physical keyboard. This was like you know the sort of unholy marriage of like a BlackBerry, an iPhone, and like one of those super old school 80s trackball, you know, mouse mice for a computer. Well, yeah, I mean, this was like when um, when Android was still basically kind of a open source um, copy or perhaps inspired by BlackBerry before they spent um, the better part of a decade doing, you know, becoming that that of iOS. And it was, you know, at, at that point in time, like it seemed like that that BlackBerry physical keyboard um, you know, have a little uh, cursor on screen. It seemed like that was the form factor, right? Like that, if you're going to, that, that's what a smartphone looks like if you're going to go make a smartphone. Yep, yep. And of course, there was Danger and the uh, the sidekick <laughs> at oh, the yeah. time too that was also inspiring all this. And uh, I think back on in the Android episode, we gave a shout out to that uh, that Entourage episode where Turtle gets a gets a sidekick, and <laughs> yep. all this is like so dated now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, always fun. Um, so HTC again, like right in the middle of all of this, the very first uh, Google phone, very first Android phone. Um, and then they, they really stay at the cutting edge for, for quite a while in the early sort of modern smartphone period. Um, they built and launched one of, if not the first 4G phone that was available in the US, I think. Um, it was on Sprint and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting right now what it was called, but it was, uh, it was like they marketed the hell out of this thing. I think it had probably like an, you know, like hour and a half long battery life. <laughs> um, wow. but it was the first, uh, the first, uh, mobile phone and, and network, uh, in the U S that, um, that you could really like use it. And it felt like broadband. I mean, before that there was 3g of course, but like it was sort of not that much faster than the old dial up days. Um, so they were, they really were, you know, pioneers of a lot of firsts. They were, um, and and you know st- still um you know you could argue that the the vive is really um valve's innovation and and in a lot of ways it is um and a lot of the control rests with with valve and we can talk about well, that just like android forward, was you know google to, and well yeah, andy and android and andy rubin's innovation yeah yeah but the fact remains like absolutely a pioneering device and htc you know largely responsible yep yep um so that was kind of the the high point. And I think that was right around I'm trying to remember, like two thousand ten ish, I think, when when that phone came out. Um and in 2010, 2011, like HTC was really on the rise and people thought, you know, that they were gonna be a really credible competitor to Samsung, uh, and uh a dominant device maker uh mm-hmm. in the in the smartphone era. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um since 2011 at its high point uh that has not happened over the last five to six years and the stock is down 90 percent since then so uh htc now uh well as of yesterday before they halted trading had a market cap of just under two billion dollars uh in in u.s dollars which is down 
significantly from from where they were at that peak. I think they were, um, I think they were around somewhere between twenty and thirty billion dollars at their peak. Yeah, um, and I'll I'll embarrass myself a little bit here. Um, I was texting David earlier, and I looked up their market cap uh, just on on Google Finance, and I was like, "Whoa, David! I mean, this is going to be really splashy. They have a fifty-eight <laughs> billion yeah. dollar market cap." And <laughs> then, like a few hours later, as you're doing your research, you texted me back. You were like, "Uh, that market cap is in Taiwanese dollars, and it's only it's only about one point nine billion in U.S. dollars." Yeah. <laughs> and like thinking about you know what what HTC was, and in my head, they still occupied a I'm, I don't, yeah <laughs> a large HTC. brand. Um, you, you're like, oh yeah, HTC's a sixty billion dollar company for <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately and, and, for them. And AOL was a hundred and fifty billion dollar company. Yeah, and again, you know, we like I I mentioned this earlier uh, a, a minute ago, and and we talked about it back on the uh, on the Android episode, but um, just like you can't make this stuff up. So in 2011, right at its peak. HTC acquired, I believe, a 51% stake in Beats. <laughs> so this was back oh, when Beats was right. was just the headphones, was Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. And um and and they were gonna buy this brand and this great audio technology integrated into their design and manufacturing uh and supply chain expertise. Um, and basically what happened was for about a year to 18 months, every HTC product uh, across their whole line, which wasn't just smartphones, but but mostly smartphones, had Beats branding plastered all over it. So you can That's still right. go on Amazon and eBay and get HTC Beats Android phones. Beats I mean, they're by HTC by yeah, Dre by Apple. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, um, you know, <laughs> uh, what did Steve Jobs think at the time? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if if th- this co-branding stuff, like Apple, is not immune from this. If you remember the the first, um, the original iPod oh, had the a second Motorola version come out. It rocker. was HP. It, oh, I'm sorry. The, so they had the Moto Rocker also, but there was an iPod that came out that was an iPod HP edition. Yeah, and it that's had like right, an HP right. brand on the back above the Apple brand. It was the weirdest thing. Oh man, Apple! You know, <laughs> for all that they really, we're going to talk much more about Apple in this episode. But uh, as we have always on this show, um, for all that they really are, so often at the top of their game. Sometimes they just do things that you look back on them and you're like, what were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so HTC in 2013 divested their stake in Beats, sold it back to the company. I believe, I want to say Carlisle came in and and did a big uh, private equity infusion into Beats and they bought back the stake. And then, of course, it was... uh, just about a year, year and a half later, I think that that Apple acquired the company. Um, so that was that's our that's our sidebar. Uh, HTC, of course, also as we've talked about in 2016, in partnership with Valve, created the Vive, um, which still I think is uh, is probably arguably the best virtual reality experience out there. Um, better than better than Oculus, still, I believe. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, we can certainly fanboys will argue that you can argue in the comments <laughs> uh, or in the slack but um uh again really you know they 
uh, it's really interesting the approach that HTC has taken to innovation. They've they've sort of been at the forefront of every tech wave that's come over the last you know, 15 years, 15 to 20 years, really, but they don't do it themselves. They always do it in partnership with, with other companies. Um, yeah. And they can't seem to strategically position themselves to hold on to the most valuable asset as it grows. I mean, that, that uh, yeah, yeah, over and over and over failing as a company to do that. Yeah. So speaking of, let's bring Google into the story here uh, and we'll pick back up again right around 2011 when HTC is sort of at its height. Uh, and Google, at that point, um, Samsung was was really, you know, Google sort of had a problem that Samsung had taken Android. They were by far the most successful, powerful OEM out there. And they did that basically by taking Android uh, as an operating system, but then in every other aspect from hardware design and all the skins and modifications that they made to the Android operating system and software, they just copied the iPhone. And so Samsung phones were, if either you didn't, you were on a carrier that didn't have the iPhone, which was still a thing at that time, um, or for whatever reason, you weren't part of the Apple ecosystem, but you wanted something that felt like an iPhone, you went with Samsung. And, and Google, of course, uh, was threatened by this for, for many reasons they decided to acquire Motorola. Now, this was for two reasons. The, the primary reason and what they said at the time and um, in retrospect uh, probably continue to justify was for patent reasons. There was a lot of litigation happening in the smartphone world um, and in particular in the smartphone operating system world at this point. Um, and, and Android, of course, was open source. So they needed patent protection. Motorola had a large patent portfolio. But they did actually acquire all of their smartphone manufacturing business as well. And they spent a lot of money for it. Um, they operated Motorola for uh, about two and a half years. And and they released you know a number of uh, devices, smartphones, kind of at all ranges from low end to high end. Uh, weren't particularly successful. Um, and then they sold it to uh, the Chinese company Lenovo in 2014 for about $3 billion. So they paid $12.5 billion for it. They kept the patents. They also sold another piece of Motorola's business, which makes uh, the cable boxes for your house. So for Comcast or Time Warner or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> they sold that off for, I believe, about $2.5 billion right after they did the transaction. So let's say they paid $10 billion uh, net for Motorola. Uh, and then two and a half years later, they sell it for three billion, under three billion. So, so not a good, uh, not an auspicious beginning to Google's efforts in the smartphone no, hardware business. No, so I mean, if you're a shareholder right now, like you need a little bit of an explanation. Like, I, I, I mean, I mean today, like if you at first glance just hear, and I know the details are a little bit different than this, but like. Google's buying HTC or Google's buying the arm that manufactures the phones of HTC or even Google, you know, whatever it is like, uh, okay. Like we've tried this once. So how is it going to be different this time? Yep. Well, and, and we'll see how it's different. We'll, ben and I will speculate on how it's different, but there's one thing that is <laughs> the same history repeating itself. And that's that there was an executive within, uh, Google Motorola, uh, named Rick Osterle. Uh, Osterloh, uh, and he 
ended up uh, by the end of of Google's uh, ownership, uh, stewardship, if you will, of Motorola, uh, becoming the head of that unit. And then when they sold it to Lenovo, he continued running that unit under Lenovo. Last year in 2016, he left and came back to Google. And so he is now running Google's quote unquote hardware business, uh, reporting to Sundar. And, um, and so he, that division is responsible for, uh, everything that they launched last year, the Google home, the Google pixel, which we've referenced and we'll talk more about, um, the, uh, daydream, their, their VR, uh, headset adapter for smartphones, uh, all of that. So it's, it's really, they are, uh, in many ways with the same people executing the playbook all over again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll get to this, but times are different now, you know. Indeed and, they are. And I want to pause real quick. So times are, well, a few things. Times are different now. The mechanics of this deal are completely different. Um, and on top of it, um, you know, it's probably worth talking about the patent portfolio uh, uh, Motorola had. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of speculation and you can read plenty of think pieces about this. Um, about the real value of that acquisition being the IP, and Google retained a lot of that IP, I believe, when they sold um, sold Motorola off, and so then it's you know highly protective for Android. So that uh, there's more to this than meets the eye, um, and you know it, it's just worth calling out it, uh, how how big of a player um, or how big of a deal IP was as part of that Motorola transaction. It absolutely was, but what's super interesting is like. Again, that was the story, and then when they sold Motorola, um, that was that was the the real emphasis that they said on the story. Hey, this was really a you know an IP thing, and we dabbled in hardware. We decided it didn't make sense. We were you know I'm sure in tech themes we will get into the you know vertical versus horizontal approach to to a company uh, didn't make sense uh, as a horizontal provider of Android to also be a vertical provider and compete with our partners. Um, but now they're doing the same thing all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's worth pausing here for a second. So, uh, listeners, um, I think this came out right before we started recording. Uh, Google has confirmed the news. Um, Google signs agreement with HTC continuing our big bet on hardware and, uh, uh, written by none other than Rick Osterlo, who David just, uh, just mentioned. And the key, uh, sentence in this blog post is, um, uh, let's see here. With this agreement, a team of HTC talent will join Google as a part of the hardware organization. These fellow Googlers are amazing folks we've already been working with closely on the Pixel smartphone line, and we're excited to see what we can do together as one team. The deal also includes a non-exclusive license for HTC intellectual property. And they're calling this an agreement. So it's it's not, you know, no one's saying acquisition, no one's saying um, purchases it's it's an agreement and of course it's for 1.1 billion dollars of, of cash that that goes over to um to htc but okay so we have definitive news that that it's basically you know exactly as as all the um, speculation was uh, about that specifically that hardware engineering team um and the 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 other interesting thing here is they have a non-exclusive license to htc htc's ip so does that mean like all of htc's patents are you know, uh, available for Google right now. And obviously HTC can do other things with them and license them as well. But, um, that, that's kind of interesting too. I mean, that, that definitely bolsters the value of the deal. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, how much of the innovation that was happening in these, 
products, you know, even going back to the G1 and uh, the HTC Dream, the first Android phone, like how much of that IP was HTC's? How much was Google's? Um, impossible to know right now. But <laughs> I'll be curious if this comes out in the filings when they when they happen. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think um, eh, it. I can't. You know, I'll say this now. We'll probably talk about it later. Google, uh, you can definitely sense the. Um, we've been burned once, and now we're going to be very methodical about this approach here. Like it's a smaller price tag, one point one billion. Yep. It's just the the hardware engineering the team. Tag. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you look at it, um, um, it's it's really only exactly what they needed, and they spent you know years first engaging with this team, doing a try before you buy. Um, yep. I mean, th- this is a, a highly calculated, highly risk mitigated um, transaction by by Google. Yep. And yet at the same time, well, we'll get here in tech themes, but they're still, again, deciding to uh, be both a horizontal and a vertical player in this space. So, eh, David, just plug your ears and <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, okay. acquisition category. category. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. It's, it's quite literally a, a people, like a talent acquisition. I mean, it's a team. It's a... <laughs> It's, it, let's not call it an acquisition, Ben. It's a it's a it's an agreement. It's an agreement. It's an agreement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> an agreement to make two thousand of HTC's four thousand people Google employees. Yes. Um, I'm actually quite curious how the mechanics of this work. Like, I hope there's kind of filings about this. And David, you might actually have have good insight. But uh, like, do those people? all go into a sub entity temporarily along with uh, the license to the ip and then google buys that sub entity for 1.1 billion or can they actually just yeah i don't know give a, give a bunch of cash and then say all right you you know these employees all work for us now like, yeah. Yeah. well i mean i gotta assume that most if not all of that cash is going to HTC because HTC had had huge losses as, we, as we've talked about yeah. for the last few years. And, um, you know, their market cap before today was, was less than, less than twice that $1.1 billion figure. So, um, that amount of cash is, is in the bank is going to be, was desperately needed by the HTC folks. Yeah, totally. And, uh, this is actually a great segue. So instead of, um, um, what would have happened otherwise this time we're going to do, do what will happen now that hasn't happened before or what will what will happen in the future that isn't happening now um, because of this transaction and we'll talk a lot about the Google side but it's an interesting thing on the HTC side like they've had mounting losses um, this gives them $1.1 billion of a capital infusion to do something with their business. They're still making handsets. They're, they're the hardware partner for manufacturing the Vive. Like if you're HTC and you're trying to sort of like steer the ship and trim down and uh, I mean, I guess maybe you look at it like, well, whatever revenues we were making from Google isn't going to be the long-term strategy. So let's just jettison this team get all the cash flows from that up front now and do something else with it. But what is that something else? Yeah. What is that? I mean, that is the, the, uh, $64,000 question here, right? Like, <laughs> or a lot more, a lot more money than that. Given their 
history of, as we've talked about thus far in this episode, how they operate, the type of innovation they do. I mean, they really are like they are a, at their best when they're a contract shop. Um, and, and again, that's what they were doing with with Google and the Pixel. And, and that worked well, right? Like Google ended up buying that whole team. Um, right. You know, they they did that for a long time. And then they tried to build a brand on their own. On top of that, they had some success, but it wasn't sustainable. Um, and part of that, I think, was was probably because they, you know, they were they were still writing on, you know, Google's platform. Um, I think it's very hard as an Android manufacturer to to build a real brand. Um, even Samsung is is very vulnerable, as we've seen mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but so now what are they going to do, right? Like, are they do they go back to square one and say, you know, there really is an opportunity, be it in smartphones or, or other emerging devices and categories, to be a great contract manufacturer? Do they use the resources to go back and do that and build up that team again? Do they create their own real IP? I don't yeah, know. It'd be very interesting they, to see what happens. So maybe this is one place where I'm a little out of my element, but if you're a contract manufacturer, how much different is that than being Foxconn? Or is that the same thing as being Foxconn? Like could HTC pivot purely into a B2B company, shed their brand and and just start um, yeah. you know, making, doing manufacturing to spec? And yeah. Uh, like the when you think about it like is that effectively what the team was doing that was doing the the pixel manufacturing or is there actual like you know engineers there on the htc side doing design work Uh, i don't know i'm not totally clear on on how much different um the htc contract sort of manufacturing was than what foxconn does for apple yeah, I don't, I, I don't know the delineation either. Um, but certainly, Foxconn, you know, has built a very, very large business um, on on just that strategy of we are a B two B company. Um, yeah, and what and, I was going to suggest is like maybe, and, and maybe a, go for it. Well, I was going to say, you know, two uh, in other uh, adjacent industries, in particular, the semiconductor industry, like this is also a very sound strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're TSMC, which is Taiwan Semiconductor Company, um, uh, it's interesting that these businesses, of course, tend to be um, particularly thrive in Taiwan and in Hong Kong, where, where Foxconn is, uh, because of the proximity to China and the ability to do business there. Um, you know, you can, you can, build a great business and being a, being a foundry for, uh, for semiconductors where you don't do the design. Uh, there are lots of, of fabulous semiconductor companies that are either independent companies doing their design or, you know, folks like Apple, which again, we'll get into later in this show. Um, it, it can be a very sound strategy. Yeah. And, and I was, uh... I was going to work myself into a corner a little and say, well, maybe what HTC should do is, you know, start shedding their consumer brands and really just be this contract manufacturing shop. But if they do that, then companies like Google will come along and just buy them so they don't have to to pay to (laughs) contract them. But clearly that's a model that works. Apple hasn't tried to buy Foxconn or bring any of that in-house. The fabulous semiconductor companies, I mean, granted, maybe if they took a huge hunk of capital, then it would actually make sense to to fab them themselves. But sort of being a a horizontal manufacturer seems to work. um, And HTC could sort of move into that. 
Yeah. And I wonder if, I think the key is we just don't know enough uh, right now and, and haven't been able to do the research in the few hours since this announcement happened or since the rumors swirled um, to know for, for HTC, like where, where did they play in that value chain? Like it was, it was the, this is the question you asked, like how much were they, the con- just the manufacturer? How much were they involved in the design? How did that change over time? And, um, and it's interesting that like sort of counterintuitively, I think in the world we're in right now in tech, uh, when you're competing against, uh, app, you know, Apple in, in really every category, but also, you know, companies like, like Samsung and, and, and increasingly Google themselves, um, design, uh, is really not valued. It's, it's sort of, you know, back to Ben Thompson's smiling curve, you know, either you're at one end of the spectrum where you're just the contract manufacturer, you are the semiconductor foundry, uh, mm. or you are, you know, really controlling the user experience, um, like Apple does and like Google is clearly trying to do now with, with Android and with this acquisition. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're in the middle there, like that's a bad place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Hmm. Well, switching over to the Google side, um, what does this allow Google to do that they're not currently doing? It's, uh, so there's a, there's a couple that let's presume they were just going to um, go forward with the pixel line no matter what and really start doubling down on that and in tech themes we can talk about why um, so this presumably makes it so the teams can work more efficiently together um, being under one roof so you don't have sort of that weird contractor arm's length thing that has to happen um, not to mention sort of uh, um, if you're an engineer over there who's collaborating with Google you sort of have two bosses you're, you're the business interests of, of HTC and then um, shipping the best product you can with Google um so that gets eliminated a little bit uh for google you know they're they can so there's those inefficiencies where they can move faster um but what does it buy them i mean i'm sure i'm sure they had some kind of agreement where they had access to htc's ip before and they were going to keep working with this team anyway and they were basically just going to defer the payments to some kind of like you know contract that that was that paid HTC over time like what else do you think this buys Google well I think one thing uh if if trying to imagine myself in in Google executive shoes and in Rick Hostello's shoes um you know I think it's a little easy from the outside looking in to dismiss supply chain as like oh yeah Foxconn will take care of that or whatever but like I think this buys them a, a meaningful amount of supply chain expertise and and assets i mean i think about i think about apple and how much they have invested you know both monetarily you know billions and billions and billions of dollars but also uh, human capital wise and and expertise and know-how in their supply chains and part of that is internally at apple and their people but part of it also is their relationships with foxconn and other mm-hmm. manufacturers um i mean right like this is tim cook right like tim cook is the ceo of apple and this was his job like this is so important at apple and has been for the last 
you know, decade plus that that's why Tim Cook is the CEO, you know, not Johnny Ive. Um, and that's the DNA that, that Google really had zero of, mm. you know, they maybe thought they were getting it with Motorola, but, but Motorola was headquartered in Chicago. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't make, you can't make, uh, uh, iPhones or, or pixel phones, uh, in, in Chicago for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, great point. Uh, but you can in Taiwan and you can in China. Great, great point. I remember even when, you know, um, a few years before tr Tim transitioned into CEO, people sort of realizing that um, one of Apple's major competitive advantages is, and this is before they were making their own silicon too, that they had bought up like a year or two of the entire world's <clears throat> supply of many of the components in iPhones because they knew they could justify the demand for it. And so no one else could get that generation of whatever the thing was, uh, e even, you know, even processors to some extent for like many months after Apple shipped something. Yeah. That's a huge competitive advantage. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, was it, uh, uh, right after the Apple event last week where they announced the iPhone 10 not x <laughs> the Dare iphone 10 Wait, will there ever be an iphone 9 i mean that is the question right like <laughs> I, I don't understand uh, like let me take a quick aside here so i think apple blew it uh like to me it's it's like you should have this iphone x or whatever iphone it's an iphone 10 but like have it be this thing that's like not part of your numerical line that's like a sidestep to a new thing so when you want to start building your generations like how when adobe decided that, that they were going to go from like photoshop 7 to photoshop cs and now you're in like this creative suite world like they have the opportunity to sidestep and start a new thing now and like yeah. they didn't um but they have did right because it's like an x not a 10 so okay so it's all that's totally weird because with ipad they they to my mind like they did what made sense with the ipad they went just got ditched the numbers and were like there's ipad there's ipad pro you know <laughs> why isn't there just like iphone iphone pro and if it's gonna be a 10 and it's gonna continue just do a 10 like it's yeah. really yeah so confusing and here's the funniest thing is so you're i was listening to everyone should go listen to dairy fireball if you're like an apple nerd or i'm sorry uh the talk show um with yeah. john Gruber. okay so this is it's, what i was gonna reference so we'll, we'll bring it back week. to topic in a minute but go ahead <laughs> so uh john bumps into phil schiller at uh at you know at, after the event because they get these press briefings and stuff and phil the first thing um phil phil looks at him and he just says hi john we spent a lot of time on the name <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry about the 10 thing, which is crazy. The sorry about the 10 thing was crazy because like Gruber wrote this piece like two hours before Phil Schiller stepped on stage yeah. to announce it. So like he knew he had read Gruber's piece or been alerted to it. And and Gruber called that it was going to be an iPhone X. And of course, it was an iPhone 10, um, yeah. which, you know, he, he ate some crow on. But like... Uh, <laughs> Like I don't understand Phil, why though. <laughs> I I, I, be, I believe you that everyone spent a bunch of time on this. I just like I'd kill to know the rationale because it doesn't make sense yeah, to me. It does not make sense. Like why would you release an eight and a ten at the same point? Anyway, we've gotten way <laughs> off topic. But Gruber also, of course, had Craig Federighi on a special episode of the talk show, and I remember if I'm if I'm remembering this right. Craig was saying, you know, John was asking him about face ID and like everything that went into creating that. And I, and I remember Craig saying in response, like, oh, you know, it was, it was of course the engineering team and the hardware team and the software team working together, but it was more than that. It's more than that at Apple. It was the security team working with them. And I remember him saying it was also the ops team and our supply chain mm. was a big part of that. Like you can't make 
uh, the iPhone and you can't have all the stuff that Apple can do with the iPhone by integrating everything um, that leads to features like like Face ID. Um, you that ops and supply chain is a critical part of that. Yeah, totally true. And man, after after seeing that episode, um, sorry, after seeing that um, um, that Apple keynote, like to to think that's such a great lens to think about doing this episode because the amount of things that were launched that only work as well as they do because of the integration of like not only hardware software and the way that we used to think of it like cool you like assemble all your own components into a pc and you own the and you build the hardware i'm sorry and you build the operating system like the notion that they control to the finest grain all of the power management and core switching in the cpu and how that works with the secure enclave to do the security stuff and how like they can uh do the swipe up um from the bottom of the iphone while the face id thing is still reading your face and then get the signal at the last second to unlock like uh, all the timing and, and all the user experience stuff it, it's really starting to become so much more than just being uh the component integrator and the software yeah. maker it's really like the component mate like the you have to create the components in order to get the some of these um really incredible sort of micro optimizations that in aggregate create a whole new class of product that's possible today yep and that is you know supply chain is critical to that and and you know before um before this uh partnership that that uh uh agreement that google just reached with htc um they were really hugely behind i mean they're still hugely behind uh on that on that dimension um but i think it it, it, you're absolutely right and i think as um as the uh smartphone slash whatever the smartphone evolves into be it you know ar glasses or or wearables and watches i think it'll be probably all of these things as that technology platform matures the table stakes for that level of supply chain and ops integration to be able to do these things just gets higher and higher and higher mm-hmm. um you know and i think like the apple keynote again is the perfect lens to see that through where of course there was face id and and all the things happening there between the sensors and the software and security working together and then of course ops to have all of that sourced and available in you know billions or hundreds of millions of units um <laughs> but uh but also in um in in the processor again through you know throwing back to our our pa semi uh and an authentic uh ap- episode um that was not one of our more popular episodes but i think is a really critical one to also understanding this like yeah. the a11 chip you know bionic quote unquote <laughs> I mean, it's crazy yeah. <laughs> i mean apple's i don't know what's going on with the people who name stuff at apple God. right now like keep it simple it's, right it's like, like you can you can randomly throw bionic on something they threw bionic on something else too there was like some some part of um i forget if there was something else later in the keynote that was also arbitrarily bionic I think it had to do with Face ID. I remember it was, it was part of the iPhone 10 announcement. I'm like, what is Bionic and what is not? Yeah, what is Bionic? <laughs> seriously, seriously. Um, but like that chip is a beast, right? Like it is like oh it's God. benchmarking at the same 
level or higher as MacBook chips Pros. that are in MacBook Pros, not like <laughs> old MacBook Pros, like MacBook Pros that you go and you spend $2,000 in an Apple store today for. Yeah. And, and that's in a phone on your pocket that is not connected to power that's running on a battery. Like that is what when you make these types of investments and that's controlling the whole stack from the chip design, you know, through the PA semi acquisition, um, you know, all the way down through the supply chain and the software coupled with that, like that enables you to do this kind of stuff. And so I, I got to imagine like your Google and your, your, your Sundar and, and looking at this and you're like, okay, we've got the software. Like Google is our core competency is software. That's and, what and we services. do. Like Android has and, gotten great. And, and services the and with... great services. Yep. Yep. We're your software and services, but like hardware, supply chain, ops, like we have none of that. Um, and and I think as as the world moves more towards all of these things that really really are about making the devices themselves just disappear into the background. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have that that expertise, like you're you're just you're gonna lose. Yeah, the best way I can summarize this is. Uh, I- of course, as with many other episodes where we're talking about one of Apple's competitors, we drift into talking about Apple and then just like laughing about how far ahead they are. But it really is like uh, like Apple's playing a very different game um, than everybody else. And so, you know, in, in making their own silicon and, and having done this for years now um, and controlling the operations and supply chain in this way that no one else is doing because nobody else is... Um, yeah. Well, I think that's what's really interesting about it, though, that people say Apple makes their own silicon. That, that's not true. They design their own that's silicon. That's right. TSMC. And then they, and... Con- and they control all of the supply chain. But TSMC and, and Samsung and, and others, you know, they're the ones who actually fab the silicon. That's a great point. That's a really great point. And so then at what point did you have to go deeper and integrate that? I mean, is that the next step? Like, did is, is there some optimization that happens between design and manufacturing where it's beneficial to actually start owning the manufacturing? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, they they haven't, you know, with Foxconn, they haven't with TSMC and Samsung when, on the foundries. I wonder if it's just like, you know, those uh, services are, are pure commodities. They're very, mm-hmm. very capital intensive commodities. Mm-hmm. Apple certainly could make those investments if they wanted to. Um but uh but there's not a lot of differentiation within them yeah yeah that's a great point okay so, so it would be to, okay well it, it, it would ahead. be you know we'd be kidding ourselves to say we're not already in tech themes um but it is interesting <laughs> to, to think about like you know the the features that are now expected in phones um an ar kit is a really great example of of you know new new, new stuff that's going to be available on ios 11 that takes advantage of ar kit especially on all the new apple hardware that's kind of purpose built for ar kit um it's all of these new phone experiences require a new level of design and integration with the hardware that that really wasn't necessary before and so the way that i am viewing this acquisition is like acquisition uh, agreement uh is uh, google is still a horizontal company and they need to you know, they make money 80, 
plus percent of their money from, or maybe it's even 90 plus percent of their money from uh, uh, ads and specifically from search ads. And so, yep. you know, that going back to our Android episode, the reason that cre- they create Android is to um, reduce the amount of licensing fees that they need to pay iOS or need to pay Apple to make uh, Google the default search in iOS. Like that's as when it really comes down to it, you know, I think we, what did we determine that number was like a yeah. billion dollars a year that it saves them dollars a year. Yeah. A, bi- a billion well, dollars a year. Well, a billion dollars a year that they're paying to Apple. Uh, even oh, that's still. Right. Um, that's right. That's right. Well, but it's interesting. And when they started Android, that was the strategy. But, you know, you, you replace Apple with Microsoft. They thought Microsoft was going to dominate mm. mobile operating systems like they did on desktop. They didn't want to be beholden. It turned out they were right strategically, but they just had the wrong competitor. Yeah, uh, interesting. Would, yeah. So, yeah. So for, for listeners who didn't listen to the Android episode, um, you know, the, the core play with Android is... Uh, uh, own the front door to the the user, so control the browser that they're on, control the operating system that they're on, so that they don't have to pay uh, pay basically affiliate fees for every search that's conducted and every ad that's clicked on Google to the the um, the browser um, creator. And so when you start putting that lens on, then you then you start to have to think like, okay, so Google needs to sort of be Switzerland because they need to be ubiquitous and have everybody use them. But if this Android strategy is to, you know, make sure that that for some significant number of people, they're they're controlling the whole experience, like Android has to be credibly on par with iOS. And if the table stakes have now risen to the level where you need to do like ridiculous hardware integration and potentially even like manufacture your own stuff to enable the types of features that people expect from their phone experiences now or will expect in a few years when some of the stuff, um, you know, Face ID, uh, AR kit, um, a lot of the performance and, and um um, power management stuff like when that becomes completely commodity like google's going to be hosed on this whole android strategy if if yep. they um you know they don't have that and so this thing that they've been doing forever of like hey guys like we're not gonna you can all samsung you can make money on android phones by making them and we'll just produce the operating system like that could be falling apart because that's no longer yeah. competitive with apple in, this, in yep. this new world could be falling apart and could be falling apart quickly and it's interesting also to think about you know go back to our our, our episode on the snap ipo and the narratives around snap um and it's I, th- I think it's still too early to to make a call on on them as a company but but what we decided was their fate is gonna lie with do they you know, can they essentially paddle over to this wave that is what we're talking about? Call it AR, call it wearable, you know, wh- whatever it is, but it's essentially devices receding into the background and technology just being part of your ambient life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are what is Snap investing in? What are they doing? Like spectacles, you know, <laughs> what room is there for Google and Android in that world? Not a lot. Basically, in a, in a spectacles world, whether it's spectacles that win or don't win or whatever, there is no room for Google anymore. Hmm. Both either at a, at a hardware level or a platform level or at an advertising level. Yeah. Uh, I look at that differently. Like for Google's core business is making money off of people who are looking for information. Um, and I don't, I just don't think Snapchat, I mean, Snapchat is more, um, 
I, I don't I don't think it's apples and app, apples to apples enough. I mean, I, I agree with you where um, it's clear that Snapchat is making an investment and in trying to become a little bit more of a hardware company, and now Google's following in suit. Um, oh yeah, no, I I uh, I didn't necessarily mean that as like Snapchat itself is going to dethrone Google, but like think about this, right? Like take the iPhone event last week or the the Apple event last week. You've got uh, the iPhone 10, um, which clearly uh, whether it's this year or next year or two years, like they are laying the groundwork for an AR slash ambient future that the iPhone is part of or, or a hub of mm-hmm. um, you've got uh, you've got the Apple watch series three, which I'm super excited about by the way, um, which is like, there is no, you know, <laughs> uh, there, there, there is no phone. There is no, you know, um, uh, device really. It's a thing that sits on your wrist and like all the computing is just around you. Um, you know, then you've got, you've got snap and where you've got spectacles, uh, not to mention the Snapchat experience. Then you've got Facebook, um, and you've got everything they're doing with Oculus and then, and the core Facebook platform itself. Like, you can start to see a world where like all of those devices and services all work together really nicely. Um, and like, where's Google in that world? Mm. Yeah, I see where you're going there. This actually, this dovetails nicely with, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but I, I think, um, so Google is in many ways their own existential threat. And I think, uh, so follow my logic on this for a minute. So Google, their core competency as a business is making money off of showing you a list of things and then charging somebody to be in that list. And their core competency from an engineering perspective is, you know, recently machine learning, but, you know, dating back to their beginning, sort of distributed computing, distributed storage, um, all, all these things that are sort of stepping stones to the to becoming like the best company at machine learning. And there that that leads in many ways to them being the best company in this voice world where the google home and google assistant is a really really you know pioneering fantastic voice service relative to all these others and so google's engineering um uh the things that they make them good in engineering um are uh, are pushing them toward a future where they don't really show you a list of things anymore because voice is, is when it's an output is not a really good way to ever like list off stuff. It's a good way to like just do one thing. So you, you tell it to do a thing and it does a thing. And like, imagine if you're no longer searching, getting a bunch of blue links and getting one blue link that's paid for. And it's more like you, you, you just yell something at it and then it gives you the answer. And like, where, where do they start charging for things in that world? Like, do they start mm-hmm. blending, um, paid and organic results where sometimes you're getting a sponsored one or do they start move shifting their business model where they're realizing that well actually you know we're about to be best in class at this new form of hardware and new form of experience that people want maybe we just double down on that and actually own the full you know user experience at the hardware level yeah but again it's dangerous and uh maybe we should officially move into tech themes here. And (laughs) and this is, this is where, right? Like I think Google's in a challenging spot because they're sort of being forced to compete on this playing field that we've been describing for the last, you know, 40 minutes here. Um, But uh, 40, 45 minutes. Um, 
but they are fundamentally a horizontal company and the playing field we just described is a vertical vertically integrated playing field <laughs> um, yeah i guess i guess what i'm saying is i think the horizontal company may be at risk um and that business may not be something they can keep riding for the next decade and yeah. um they may they, i mean that it's hard to say this yet because they're so dominant but like you could imagine a world in a few years where like search revenues start declining um because they're getting the 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 best user experience that wins in search is providing you one answer and like they need to do something dramatic and this really sets them up to to try and shift to a vertical company yep yep but again they're really far behind i mean yeah they have to do it like this is uh, for all the money and resources google has and and all of the um threats that we've been talking about and again we're 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 probably being dramatic uh and, given yeah, where we stand completely. here in September 2017. Um, but, you know, like if there's one constant in the tech world, it's that it changes and it changes fast. I mean, even as we've been talking through this episode and the timelines, thinking back on some of these devices, like it was not that long ago, you know, like 2011, though, six years ago, HTC was on top of the world and like coming out with the first true broadband, you know, smartphone <laughs> that feels like ancient history now. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, it's um, I guess I guess the interesting thing is like, uh, how fast will we get to a post search world? And is there anybody who can beat Google to that punch? Yep. And if so, then they got to verticalize quickly and try and beat whoever that is. Um. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the counter argument to that is search is an incredibly hard problem. They have so many years of doing it. They have so much data. Um, they've built all these incredibly, you know, really well-oiled systems that um, g- give them a, you know, many, many, many year head well, start against anybody. But, but search is also, similar. yeah, that's true. But I think it's also getting, it's, they're getting attacked on all sides, right? It's getting chipped away bit by bit, vertical by vertical as well. We, you know, in there our booking episode, right? Like booking.com trying to remember what was the figure that we talked about that they spend, is it three, three and a half billion a year in AdWords? Um, (laughs) Like an insane amount. Right. Mm -hmm. But then Airbnb spends like, I'm sure they spend a little bit of money in AdWords, but like uh, a 10th of that at most, you know, at most because they've actually established that they are the place to go. Because when you're looking for a place to stay, you go to airbnb.com. You don't go to google.com. Right. Um, or you go to Airbnb's, you know, experience, whether that's airbnb.com or their app or whatever, or, you know, you're looking for, uh, transportation you don't go to Google and search for, you know, a, uh, a car rental in, in whatever city you're visiting. You just, go there and you open your uber app yep and then it's happening will and will more zillows get started right where like that was google's business to lose they should have just had a amazing search for homes thing and they could have integrated it nicely with like google maps or google earth and then the ads next to that could have been for real estate agents but they didn't and then the the whole rise of zillow so like what other companies will get started well and at the same time like where you know where's google's biggest bread and butter it's like you know it's it's buying stuff right and like you know you're you're you search on google for something and there's something you want to buy and you amazon. buy that right but yep. now there's amazon <laughs> yep. i mean there's been amazon for a long time but like 
there, there's there's those tr- i don't know what any of the figures are but i've seen crazy graphs where it's like the shift of um people starting their search on amazon instead of starting their search on google for products that's very real yeah, yeah. i think it's super real the question is and this gets back to the culture question is can you actually change the dna of a company and shift it to a vertical products focused company um and and they need to be good at so many things because like just being good like apple needs to get better at services right because what you actually need to be good at now and in this if if we're postulating that google needs to be sort of uh, in a vertical good good in a vertical sense it's it's good at all the things right it's like all the way down to silicon and hardware yep. manufacturing yep. and design and software and services like all the things that they're good at now also yep well i'll tell you i mean this is uh uh just purely based on um surface level reading into what's going on here um but i think if i if i saw this and i felt that these threats were real what i wouldn't do is go in one fell swoop swoop by 2000 engineers who i sort of know but don't really know and didn't hire and aren't part of my culture and go graft them onto my company, right? Like (laughs) I would go find a Tim Cook and give him 10 years to build this capability. David, we don't have time for that. We don't have time. Uh, The world's on fire or it's about to be. It (laughs) is. It is, right? But uh, like culture, it's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is kind of an interesting, before we go into grading, even though you're hinting at it, uh, has any company ever successfully done this? And is that is there like a high-profile example of someone that shifted from from being horizontal to being vertical in a big way, like a bet the company way? I mean, you get mm. like that. Your best transitions and your best save the company things ever tend to be like knowing that one market is drying up and entering another market. Like when you have uh, Intel leaving memory and going into mm-hmm. um cpus or you have apple betting with the big with um the iphone um but uh, does anyone well, well actually disney's sort of doing it or disney's about to sort of be doing it right yep. like they, they, they yep. with this announcement of a disney only streaming service and starting to pull their content off netflix like they're saying we're, we need yep. to be the best content creators and we need to be the best user experience for viewing it it's gonna be hard yeah maybe ibm uh so IBM made and sold devices and products, and then they shifted to purely services. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that really vertical and horizontal yeah, in the I, same way? I'm not. I think sure. people people usually go the other way, right? Like they get it's like yeah. I it, for, to me, IBM made like a you know they they were a vertical company that made and sold these mainframes and they made and sold PCs, and now they're like horizontally selling consulting services to anybody that you know yeah. cares to hear about Watson. Well, like, and uh, I mean, as you know, right? Like <laughs> we all know, but you 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 lived it, right? Like Microsoft tried to go from horizontal to vertical, and then was like, oh, you know, fortunately, kind of in in time realized like, that was a terrible horizontal. idea. And went back hardcore to horizontal, which was totally the right move. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Listeners, if you've got ideas, um, acquired.fm, we'd love to talk to you in the Slack. Um, Because I think that's an interesting topic. And I think it actually could be a whole new podcast that someone should start is like companies that managed to make that shift and like individual case studies on on how that happened. Yep. Hmm. Well... 
Man, I, all this discussion, and I haven't normally. I like form a little bit of a thesis on what to grade, and I'm uh, I don't have one. So if you want to start, I'll probably just well, agree I'm gonna, with I mean, you. I'm gonna. I, I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was hinting at this earlier, uh, and I know when we started recording this episode, I didn't have a grade in mind going through it, but uh, going into it, but through the discussion, um, I don't think this is gonna work out well for Google. Um, you know, I. Again, we're being dramatic on this episode, but this particular, like this is their second bite at the apple. And so what they chose to do was to buy 2000 engineers. Does the nest count? In Taiwan. Can we call this their third bite at the apple? (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Literally bite at the apple here. I mean, that's what's going on. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to work, right? Like buying 2000 engineers from HTC uh, halfway around the world that aren't part of your culture, even though you've been working together with them on the pixel for a year, you know, whatever, but, um, that's better than nothing, but having that go up against like the Apple, you know, what they've built, uh, in everything we've been talking about on this show for the last, what really the whole life of the company, the last 40 years. Um, I don't think that's going to work. Well, wait, let me, let me play devil's advocate real quick here. So, uh, the Pixel product is going quite well. I mean, I don't know the units sold, but it's a great product that's getting lots of love. Uh, do you think by bringing, yeah? Okay, how many by, pixels have you seen in the wild? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know. And and figures are, seem hazy. It's in the low single digit millions, I believe, um, of number that they sold. But my question is, do you think uh, it could get any worse? Like, do you think by bringing these this team in house, like it it could get worse? Well, I mean, presumably if they just kept doing the same thing, it, 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 each of these products would get better, people, more people would start to buy this phone over time, and it has to do at least that by bringing them in-house, right? Yeah, well, but at the end of the day, it's a culture problem, right? Like, this is, you've talked about it on the show before, like this, when you were at Microsoft, right? Like, and Microsoft was trying to be a go to being a vertical company, and you were like, but we should just ship Office for iPad. Because that's what we do, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the like that's that's the problem that Google is going to face here. Uh, they're bringing in these two thousand people who are. Um, is it two thousand? Yeah, two thousand people. Wow. Um, who are you know hardware and supply chain and device people, and they're coming into a Google culture where the crown jewel of you know google's mobile strategy is android and android is predicated on being horizontal and so like eventually there's going to be you know a fight of like are we going to prioritize our new you know hardware and vertically integrated team and then like what are the people running android who probably have a lot more juice within the company going to say about that um you should say your grade so i can then disagree <laughs> okay i'm going with a d <laughs> oh wow all right well i don't know uh what i'm going with yet but i'm gonna start talking and see where i land um the uh the counterpoint i want to make to that is um i think they're deciding like i think if you're not if you're if you're an android oem right now y- you better figure out what your strategy is because i don't think it's putting android on your phones anymore like to me mm. i don't think they're they are conflicted internally anymore like i think they've decided and i think so they're willing to go to war with samsung uh, that's that's what i'm looking at here hmm. 
I mean, I think their bet is we're going to start creating experiences that like you just have to be in house to you got to be bundled to be able to make. Hmm. Like I think they they that they're seeing what Apple is doing and saying, "Yep, we're bought in on that." Yeah. Well, okay, interesting. I mean, maybe they can do that cuz like Samsung doesn't really have any leverage and they can't go anywhere else like what are they going to do? Make their own operating system? They can't do that. They tried that. And it didn't work. Was that the? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It didn't work. Um, so, okay. Like, yeah, Google could play hardball with, with Samsung and say, like, you're just coming along or, or you're, you're dead. Um, can, can Google make enough phones? Like, that's another interesting question. It's like, how well, many but people, yeah, that's, yeah, right. Like, they how can. many people no buy way. Samsung phones? Does Samsung make their own phones? Are they uh, their own manufacturer? uh i believe so i believe so yeah so like or even if they're not they have enough a deep enough relationship with the foxcons of the world that like i mean that that's the thing right like pixel's a great phone but i've never seen one in public and i've seen millions and millions of iphones and galaxies i think two years from now we'll revisit this and go wow google's ecosystem of oem partners dried up fast yeah um that's a heck of a who's gonna make the phones then uh, I mean, well, there's going to be all this capacity, right? Like if, if Google, if Google starts to shift this way, like there's a lot of people that need to make a lot of phones that are suddenly going to be available. Yep. Hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, Samsung does and, um, Google just commoditizes Samsung even further. Or maybe, maybe Apple just like really continues to dominate in this world like they have capacity like um their supply chain is the best in the world yeah well so here's it's kind of a funny thing is this is the same price that of, of instagram right so it's it's funny to like make this little apples to apples comparison of like which <laughs> would you have rather bought <laughs> um yeah but and one other lens that i want to look through it as is um if you are htc there's two other lenses. One is, um, I think it's about 500K per head. Um, so that's kind of an interesting stat to look at. Mm, Lots of talent acquisitions are a million dollars an engineer. And obviously, these aren't, aren't all engineers. But um, that's kind of an interesting. If it's 2,000 people, then it's 500K per head. And it comes with this access to the patent portfolio. So so that's that's an it's interesting. It's not that expensive. Um, the other thing is, we have no idea what deal what the deal looked like between um htc and google going forward but you have to assume that if you're htc um or or you know what the terms of their their contracting agreement was to to make the phones um but you have to assume if you're htc then basically uh you're doing some kind of sum of future cash flows here um and saying like well you know over the next four years you're going to make this much revenue from this thing so yeah we're fine with it being worth 1.1 billion and impossible for us to know what the the cash flows would have looked like but um you know uh, something tells me this actually isn't that expensive for google um i I, no 1.1 billion to google is nothing oh and and i mean from the perspective of like what the alternative was in terms of paying Mm. htc out over time like i think htc has so little leverage and needs cash um that they're very willing to do a deal here and I don't think they looked at the work they were doing for Google as their core competency anyway. Um, and I'm speculating here, but I, I think Google, if they can do this integration well, got a pretty good deal on um, 
on you know hiring two thousand people um, that are strategically you know perfectly trained to do the thing that Google needs to do. And and I really do think Google needs to do this, and and, and Android needs to become much more like like the iPhone. So Android and, and Pixel phones kind of need to become uh, become one. And uh, um, you know, if if that's the plan, and if Google's going to actually execute that, I think this is this is a great move. Um, and uh, you know, har- hard to grade because I think there's lots and lots of variants on yeah. on where well, it could think, go. Yeah, the but question is. So, I don't think we're actually saying anything. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think we're saying anything that different. I'm just super skeptical that this is going to work. But do you think? Uh, do you think they're actually going to go the direction of of dehorizontalizing um, Android to all the OEMs? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they kind of have to, right? Like, you can't compete with what Apple's doing if you in the current Android ecosystem. Yeah, unless you believe that doesn't, and none of the things that they're doing to optimize matter. But I think that's the death by a well, thousand but, cuts if you Yeah, don't. but I think also, like, Google has clearly shown that they do believe that, like, AR and ambient computing is the future. And if you believe that, then that doesn't work in the Android ecosystem as yeah. is. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fact that Google's doubling down with Google Home, and they're doing Daydream, and they're releasing their own phones, like... They're becoming a hardware company, and this is going to dramatically help them. Yep. So I'm going, it's going to be somewhere between a B and a C, but I'm trending closer to a B um, at this point in time. Wow. All right. Disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, cool. Carve outs? Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Odessa fan. Uh, if you're, um, if you're into sort of like ambient trap, like, powerful sit in a concert and bob your head um it's 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 an awesome awesome band really great to listen to while you're working while you're running um and uh they're actually from from um bainbridge island which is pretty cool from from seattle area cool i didn't know Um, that they are they are and they just came out with a new album and it is uh it is awesome and i think there's this great um um pitchfork quote from the review that uh that I want to read real quick that describes the album very well. And you can choose this may or may not appeal to you, but um, they nail it by saying it derives its power from its supersized subtlety, exaggerated gestures, a kind of weaponized softness. And the album is called a moment apart. So if that sounds like your jam, go check it out. It's a, it's great. Listen. Wow. Weaponized soft softness. I know that in itself is like an album name. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, well, you've inspired me. I'm going to call an audible, uh, do not what I wanted to, but, um, music, uh, has inspired me. I, uh, uh, listened to, uh, recently, this was actually, I think this was re, uh, replaced in the feed on fresh air, fresh air, uh, with Terry gross on NPR on their podcast, um, was they just re-released, an interview that she did about a year ago with Bruce Springsteen. And, uh, it's great, uh, done in his studio, in his home studio in New Jersey. Um, just talking about, you know, uh, he, he'd written an autobiography that had come out and, and he's now doing a one man show on Broadway. Uh, and, um, that's, uh, that'll be premiering soon. Um, uh, which I think is why they re-released this, this interview. Uh. Um, 
and it's just really cool. He talks about uh, he talks about his his persona of of Bruce Springsteen, and um, that like I you know I always just assume that like Bruce Springsteen is Bruce Springsteen, but like the real Bruce Springsteen is not that much like you know <laughs> the the Bruce Springsteen that you see on stage, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and he talks about like where that persona came from and. Um, you know how it's shaped his life. So really, really great interview. He's a very, very smart guy, and um, you know has lived an amazing life. So highly recommend. Ah, oh, very cool. Well, listeners, that's it. If you aren't subscribed and you want to hear more, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast client. And if you feel so inclined, we would love a review on iTunes. Um, feel free to join us in the Slack at acquired.fm, and uh, that's all we've got. So. Uh, thanks for listening and um, you know enjoy your own speculation drop us a link in the slack if uh, if we miss anything great we'll see you next time later